Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. Martin Heidegger finishes up his essay, Plato's Doctrine of Truth, by moving away from what we might assume is its main topic, that is the allegory of the cave and, and what is going on in, in education. Heidegger, however, has said that what the story is also about, and perhaps even more about, is a fundamental transformation in the human understanding and orientation to what he calls the essence of truth. And the original essence of truth, which is still available for us, but, but is concealed, is, is submerged, is sedimented under this entire history of Western metaphysics and humanism, as Heidegger thinks. This original conception, this original orientation, this original essence of truth views being present as the emergence of the hidden into unhiddenness, as Heidegger says. Truth is aletheia, that is coming out of hiddenness, coming out of forgetfulness. He also affirms that in this originary conception of truth, or this originary essence of truth, which predates Plato and the philosophical transformation that's going to take place in Western culture, he says truth is a fundamental trait of being. And by that, he doesn't just mean being, you know, the entire range of being as such or capital B being. He means beings. Each being can reveal its truth to us or have its truth revealed through something else that takes it out of hiddenness and reveals it, that places it before it makes it present to us. That, Heidegger thinks, has been lost with Plato and with post-Socratic philosophy in general in the West. So what he's going to trace out in the last really, you know, five, six pages of this, this essay is a long trajectory leading all the way from Plato to Nietzsche, which might strike you as a bit strange because we think of Nietzsche as kind of an anti-philosopher. He himself said that Christianity was just Platonism for the masses. So you get the idea that Platonism is a bad thing. But Heidegger regards Nietzsche as, although he's, he's certainly going against the history of metaphysics in many respects, as being part of that history of metaphysics. He is there at its, its, you know, going under and he's opening up new possibilities for us, which is why Heidegger views Nietzsche as being such a, a very important philosopher. But all these other philosophers along the way are, are very important as well. And they all form part of a history of metaphysics. Each of them is somebody who Heidegger will talk quite a lot about. Notice who is not in there. He doesn't mention Kant, who had come in between Descartes and Nietzsche. He also doesn't mention Hegel. Hegel, who Heidegger holds in high regard, but also considers to be a consummate metaphysician. And each of these, this is a little bit of extra background here, but I think it helps you make sense out of what's going on here in this piece. Each of these is putting forth a novel interpretation of the relationship between beings and being, understanding being as one type or range of beings that stands in for being capital B, and thereby helps us to understand beings, the entire range of what we come across. So in 
Plato. We have a particular concept of the form or the idea as that which allows us to make intelligible the material experiential objects before us, including ourself and our own reflection. In Aristotle, we have a different metaphysical conception. Substance is understood in a rather different way in relation to Plato. Aristotle, in Heidegger's view, represents not only a departure from, but also a critique of, and in some respects, an improvement upon Plato. But it's still remaining within this history of Western metaphysics that Plato himself launched us into. And this has to do ultimately with an understanding of truth as correctness that crept in with Plato, gets carried forth in Aristotle. In Aquinas, we find in great medieval scholasticism, it's good to remember that, that Heidegger himself started out studying scholastic philosophy. We have yet another conception of being now bringing in a transcendent creator to the mix. Also a distinction between essence and, and existence. With Descartes, we have the, the beginning of the modern project and a turn to subjectivity. Then finally with Nietzsche, we have what Heidegger is going to call the fulfillment of Western metaphysics. So what does he say about each of these in turn? Plato, we've already talked about quite a bit. He says that Plato views truth as correctness and he yokes truth to the idea. The idea or the form is that through which we understand the things and rightness or truth in the mind, correctness, winds up being the relation between our minds and that form out there, including the form of forms or the form of the good, the idea of the good. So he says that Plato does still hold on to truth as a characteristic of beings to some degree, because a being has being precisely by appearing, but and being brings unhiddenness with it. But it winds up, as he says, being yoked to the idea. So he says, when aletheia, truth, is what is named and discussed, it's really orthotes, correctness, that is meant and posited as normative. And he says, this is going to set us on a path. So what we find that in Aristotle, there's a lot going on in Aristotle, but Heidegger just brings out this. He says, the same ambiguity of the determination of the essence of truth prevails in Aristotle. In the metaphysics towards the end of book nine, he says, where Aristotelian thinking on the being of beings reaches its peak, unhiddenness is the all-controlling fundamental trait of beings. But... Aristotle makes a fundamentally important affirmation. He says, in fact, the true and false are not in things themselves, but in the understanding or in the intellect, in the noose, right? So this is a, a key idea, and dianoia in this case, actually. Noose and dianoia get used quite often for intellect or understanding. And so Aristotle himself is reaffirming this Platonic conception of truth, a fundamentally metaphysical conception of truth as correctness. Correctness of what? What's in the intellect in relation to what's outside of the intellect or the internal relation of the intellect to itself. With Aquinas, Heidegger says, he says, Thomas Aquinas' thesis holds good for medieval scholasticism. Truth is properly encountered in the intellect, whether human or divine. Now, he also says, you know, that the truth is conceived of as adequatio, right? A adequation or correspondence, if you like, or some sort of reckoning between the two of them, if you want to get a bit more metaphorical. Notice one key element that's been added here. Truth is in the intellect, whether human or divine. So the truth of things 
out there in the world winds up being dependent on the fact that they are, in some respect, you might say ideas in the divine mind. They are understood in the divine intellect. And our intellect is true, or our conceptions are true, the more that we approximate to, and that's very difficult, of course, to do so, the divine mind, the more that we take on the viewpoint that God would have of things. Descartes is going to reaffirm the same point that Aristotle made. Truth is only in the intellect. And, you know, it's not really doing an awful lot of work, his reference to Descartes. But what's not being said here that I think is worth stressing is that for Descartes, we have this turn, as I said, to human subjectivity as opposed to the rest of the world. God is in the picture for Descartes, but not in the way that he is for Aquinas. Descartes uses God to get, you know, his project started and then says, we don't really understand God, you know, at all. So I'm not going to speculate very much about that. Descartes is primarily interested in truth as what is in the human mind. Then finally, we make our way to Nietzsche. And what is Heidegger telling us about Nietzsche? Remember too, Heidegger gave a very long set of lectures on Nietzsche that take up four volumes of his works. So this is just a very thumbnail sketch here. It says, in the age when the modern era enters its fulfillment, Nietzsche sharpens the previous thesis still further. When he says something that is quite paradoxical here, truth is the kind of error with which a certain kind of living being could not live. In the final analysis, the value for life is what is decisive. So it seems as if Nietzsche is adopting a sort of pragmatism here and saying that truth is what works for the living being. But that's not really what is going on here. It's not simply reducing it to that. Nietzsche is actually asserting that truth is a kind of error, that within truth itself, there's something fundamentally erroneous. And we might think of Nietzsche's great essay, Truth and Lies in an Extramoral Sense, as being one of the exemplifications. Here, Heidegger is going to quote a different Nietzschean work, The Will to Power. But you might read that essay if you want to get a conception of that. So he says, Nietzsche's determination of truth as incorrectness of thinking is in agreement with the traditional essence of truth as correctness of assertion. Nietzsche's just turning things on their head. Nietzsche's just exploiting a problem within the system, you might say. He says, Nietzsche's concept of truth displays the last glimmer of the most extreme consequence of the change of truth from its originary essence, the unhiddenness of beings, to the correctness of the gaze. Nietzsche remains essentially within the platonic trajectory, but he's just, you know, reversing things and turning them on their head. So Heidegger is going to say that this is a fundamental difference between these two conceptions of truth. It plays itself out throughout the history of Western metaphysics, but it's still possible for us to recuperate this original essence of truth. The other thing that he says in here that's particularly important is that this is indeed metaphysics. He says Plato first appropriated the term philosophy as a name for the astuteness about beings that defines the being of beings as an idea. Now, Plato doesn't use the word metaphysics. Aristotle is the one who's going to coin that. But he says, this is Heidegger, in fact, the coining of the word metaphysics is already prefigured in Plato's presentation in the Allegory of the Cave. 
Plato says, thinking goes met ekena, beyond those things that are experienced merely in the form of mere shadows and images, and goes haste out to out towards those things, namely the ideas. So the notion of there being a super sensuous world, something beyond the appearances, is already entering in with Plato and continues all the way through down to the time of Nietzsche, the great opponent of those ideas and drives. So the other thing that Heidegger is going to say here is that the beginning of metaphysics is at the same time the beginning of humanism. And he says, here, this word must be thought in its essence. We have to figure out what does humanism actually mean? So he says, in that regard, humanism means a process implicated in the beginning, the unfolding and end of metaphysics. Metaphysics and humanism go hand in hand. What is that process? He says, it's a process whereby human beings move into a central place among beings, of course, without becoming thereby the highest being. Human beings become central within beings without thereby becoming the highest being. And in every case, Plato, the forms, Aristotle, whatever we want to call it, substance, the divine mind, something like that. Aquinas, definitely God, right? Descartes, well, God, also the mind, right? Nietzsche, well, hard to say what exactly is the highest for him because he's talking about the devaluation of the highest values. But humanism is involved at each point. And Heidegger makes a, a really great point here. He says, what is involved in humanism? What is it always at stake? To take human beings within the sphere of a fundamentally metaphysically established system of beings defined as animal rationale, rational animal, and to lead them to the liberation of their possibilities, the certitude of their destiny, and the securing of their life. And he gives a number of examples about how this can take place, all of which constitute modes of humanism. So he says it could be shaping their moral behavior, the salvation of their immortal souls, unfolding of their creative powers, development of their reason, nourishing their personalities, awakening their civic sense, cultivation of their bodies, or an appropriate combination of some or all of these. Each one of them is humanism. Each one is placing the human being as central among beings and making the human being the one for whom truth exists and in whom truth can have a place. So Heidegger considers this a mistaken perspective or set of perspectives, if you like. And his goal is ultimately to diagnose this in order to move away from it. So this history of metaphysics that he's diagnosing here, that he's reading into Plato's allegory of the cave is really quite important. And that is the note on which Heidegger is going to end this essay, Plato's Doctrine of Truth. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.